Hello, welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. I want to apologize, y'all, because I'm late again. October is a super busy month in our family. We have lots of birthdays, and this weekend we took a family hunting trip as part of our nephew's birthday present that we give him every year. He enjoys going bird hunting, and we like to go with him too, and he turned 18 this month. So it's kind of amazing. It seems like the time has flown by. He is an amazing young man, thoughtful, kind, smart, and it was just nice to get to spend the weekend with him because not all 18-year-olds want to go hang out with their aunt and uncle, you know what I mean, and their younger cousins. So we had a great time, and that's why we're late because I'm late because we didn't get home until late yesterday afternoon, and I worked really hard hoping to get it out to you guys and I just didn't quite make it. But we're here this evening so that you guys don't have to wait a full week without an episode. So thanks for being patient with me, and I promise to get myself on track so you're not waiting. Anyway, today's episode is a nightmare for the people who were involved. It is about the Mineola Swingers Club, and if you know anything about it, you know that It was a wreck of a case, a complete disaster. And once we're done, you're going to see that these poor people were basically framed. They weren't guilty. And eventually they're all going to be exonerated, but it's going to take years. So it's part of our October Halloween episodes because it was a nightmare. And not just for the adults who ended up being convicted, but The kids involved were foster children already, so their lives had not been easy. And then they were drugged through this crazy trial that really wasn't true. It's nuts. So, let's get started. In 2004, four children made an outcry to their foster mother and their grandmother that they had attended a sex kindergarten, learned to play sex games, and then, after that, They were taken to the local swingers club to perform for all the adults. As the kids told the stories, they became more and more outlandish. The children said that chickens were sacrificed, adults were casting spells and wearing witch outfits. One child said that she had flown around the room on a broomstick. Authorities in Wood County, along with the FBI, investigated the allegations, but could not find any proof that any of those things had ever happened. You would think that that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. Margie Cantrell, the foster mother of the three children, wasn't ready to let it go. So, she went to Smith County, next door to Wood County, and that's where our nightmare of a story unfolds. Mineola, Texas is a small town of about 5,000 people. Most everyone knows one another. It's a small town with small town values. The main thing that Mineola has going on is lots of antique stores and Baptist churches. Now, next door to the local newspaper office was the old Mineola General Hospital. It had been closed for quite some time, and it was being reimagined as a club called The Retreat. Russ and Sherry Adams had taken the old hospital 
and turned it into a swingers club. Now, here's the thing. It was by invitation only. They had renovated the space and it had 12 rooms, two hot tubs, a karaoke machine, stereo system, big screen TV, and a sex swing. Everything you needed to party. Now, as you can imagine, there was lots of gossip about what was happening. The members came every weekend from nearby towns, and there were some locals from Mineola itself. There were even some people that came all the way from Louisiana. Now, here's the deal. There's nothing illegal about a swingers club as long as no one pays or t- pays for or solicits sex. It's consenting adults doing whatever they're doing. So no laws were being broken. And everyone knew it was going on, but no one really said much about it. But as you can imagine, most of the residents in Mineola were not real happy about it. They didn't approve of it, but no one was being hurt, and the people kept to themselves. Now, after the local paper reported on the club, though, things changed. It didn't take long for everyone to kind of band together, stir things up, and then the retreat closed their doors. Margie Cantrell was not a local. She had moved from California to Texas in 2004 with her husband, John, after the retreat had closed. Margie and her husband, John, were career foster parents. When her husband, John, hurt his back, he couldn't work anymore. His regular job was a carpenter, but he wasn't able to work with a hurt back. So the family knew that they were going to have to do something to make an income. Well, they decided they would become licensed and start taking in foster children. And this was all while they still lived in California. The couple would have up to 16 children in their care at a time. Now think about that. That's a lot of kids. Y'all, I've got 20 kids in my class right now. I can't imagine taking them home every night with me and caring for them around the clock. Seven and a half hours is a long day, but 16 kids around the clock full time, that's a lot to handle for two people. Now, some of the children, Margie and John, would eventually adopt, and three of their grown adoptive foster children came with them to Texas. The Cantrells gained a reputation for their willingness to foster kids with emotional problems. Margie said that it was all for love, but it probably didn't hurt that foster families in California could receive as much as $3,760 a month per child with behavioral issues. So you see where I'm going with this. She's not so pure of heart. And after all, they did this as a way to supplement their income after John couldn't work. So if warning bells are going off already, they should. When the Cantrells moved to Mineola, they bought a 5,000 square foot home on Lake Brenda on the north side of Mineola. They had five young children living with them at the time. A year after they moved to Texas, they obtained a group home status, and that allowed them to take in up to 12 children at a time in Texas. Now, that meant that the Cantrells needed more room. Wood County, where Mineola was located, had a great need for foster families. 
Poverty and drug abuse were growing problems, and that meant more kids needed help. And I'll be honest with you. Margie said that they moved to Texas from California because her husband, John, was from Texas, and she wanted him to get back to where he felt most comfortable. But I have to wonder if part of it was they found a new place to go where there were going to be lots of kids to, to take in. Now, there was one family on Child Protective Services' radar that had been getting a lot of attention. Caseworkers had been receiving calls for two years about Chantel Mayo and her kids. The family was a mess. Chantel and her boyfriend, Jamie Pittman, were known drug users. Harlan and Callie's father, that was two of Chantel's children, Harlan and Callie's father was in prison. And then Cheryl, her other child, his, her father was just MIA. Missing in action. No one really knew where he was. All three of these children were under 10. Now, CPS repeatedly got calls about the three children being neglected. In November of 2004, CPS was called when the three kids were locked outside of their trailer house while Chantel and Jamie supposedly smoked crack inside. CPS came and checked it out, but nothing was done. The children were left in the home. When a social worker did another check four months later, they found Cheryl and Harlan outside with a couple of pit bulls hanging out in the yard. There was hardly any food in the house, and the electricity had been turned off in their trailer house. By this time, their younger sister, Callie, had already left the home and was living with her grandmother, Sheila Soans. Now, Sheila was Chantel's mother, but... Sheila herself, I don't know why she didn't take Cheryl and Harlan also, but she decided it wasn't fit for Callie, so she had taken Callie in. Cheryl and Harlan were removed from the house this time after the CPS worker found them with no electricity, no food, and in the, in the yard hanging out. And they were placed with the Cantrells. The Cantrells at this time now had nine children in their house. Two days after Cheryl and Harlan had been placed with the Cantrells, Margie told their CPS caseworker that Cheryl had been talking about a boyfriend named Jamie that she'd been dating off and on for some time. Now, I know that Cheryl's a foster child, and I'm sure Margie was on high alert, but when a kid under 10 tells you they've been dating someone for a while... I don't know how seriously I would have taken that in the first place. The caseworker was new and she noted that Margie said that children, that both children were showing symptoms of sexual abuse. So the caseworker set up an evaluation with Wilson Renfro, a psychologist from the Bear Foundation. Now the Bear Foundation was a nationwide wide organization that worked with foster families and helped them with their foster children. They provided services like counseling, and licensing to be foster families. Now, Cheryl didn't mention the boyfriend named Jamie, but she did tell him that her mother's boyfriend was mean and that her mother had touched her in an inappropriate manner. Cheryl also told the psychologist that she had difficulty telling the truth all the time. Now, two days later, Margie reported the CPS case reported to the CPS caseworker that the children had made an outcry to her. Their caseworker arranged for Cheryl and Harlan to be interviewed at the Child Advocacy Center in Smith County. 
Now, Smith County is the neighboring county to Wood County, where the Cantrells lived in Mineola. Now, if you aren't familiar with what an outcry means, that is when a child first tells an adult that they have been molested. That also means that during a trial, that adult becomes a legitimate witness. Now, in the CPS caseworker's report, she wrote, Mrs. Cantrell and the children at, at the CAC for a forensic interview. The interview was prompted because the children have been discussing with the foster parents sexual dancing and watching pornographic material with mom's boyfriend. The children discussed having to play doctor on a stage in front of men who paid money to see the show. Cheryl also discussed how she danced with her mother and two other women. But here's the thing. When the children talked to the people at the Child Advocacy, Advocacy Center, they said no one had ever touched, touched them or looked at their private parts, and they'd never, ever watched porn. The caseworker finished up her report by writing, no pertinent information was discovered at the interview. The children were also seeing a therapist provided by the Bear Foundation. His name was Greg Singleton. He talked with the kids about all kinds of things. He talked to them about their day. He talked about talked to them about things they like to do. He talked to them about school. He talked to them just about everything in general. He also asked the children about the abuse allegations. And at first, they didn't say anything that was even remotely similar to what Margie Cantrell had reported to CPS and to the police. Finally, though, in June, Cheryl told the therapist that she used to have to dance with three other women, including her mom, on stage for crowds of men. Now, in the therapist's notes, he says that Cheryl called them sickos. A few hours, now, does sickos sound like a terminology, a kind of word that a child would use? Not usually. A few hours after the therapy session, Margie Cantrell went to the Mineola police station and said she had just come from the empty swingers club building. She had gone there because she was looking at the property because she was thinking about buying it to use as her group home. Remember, she'd gotten the okay to become a group home facility, so she needed somewhere else larger to house all these kids. Now, Margie said that as she and Cheryl were walking through the building... Cheryl started recognizing the rooms and describing them to her. Margie said that she asked Cheryl if she had ever been at this building, and Cheryl said that she used to dance there. She said she would dance toward the men and they would give her money. When police chief Jason Shanks and Detective Timothy Prince finished the interview with Margie, they went straight over to the Swingers Club building to look around. They found no evidence whatsoever to corroborate Margie's story. But... The officers weren't going to take any chances. They did take her seriously. In fact, they called FBI agent John Brody and met with Cheryl Harlan and Margie the very next morning at the Northeast Texas Child Advocacy Center in Winsboro, a town about 20 minutes away from Mineola. So that's the thing. The officers in Mineola took these claims seriously. They didn't blow Margie off. 
They didn't act like she was full of it. They did a full-on real investigation. The children, and they followed all the proper steps. They used child advocacy centers and licensed therapists and psychologists to interview these kids. It wasn't just some fly-by-night interview that they did and then said, eh, never mind. They took it seriously. The children were interviewed by a social worker. Harlan drew pictures and bounced a ball, and he repeatedly said that no one had touched his privates or done anything to him. But Cheryl said something different. She first talked about an incident that happened in 2002 when a babysitter's boyfriend had molested her. So she didn't say anything about her mother or her mother's boyfriend or any of these random people at the swingers club. She was talking about a babysitter's boyfriend. But then, for the first time, she started to tell someone else besides Margie the things that had supposedly happened at the swingers club. She said that they had danced for money and for food, and she said that they had played doctor and acted out all kinds of weird plays. She said in one of the plays, the kids wore parachutes with ropes tied to their waists, and the ropes gave them wedgies. Then they got stuck in a tree and came down. She said that Jamie pretended to kill a dog or a wolf puppet, while Harlan pretended to kill a snake puppet, and the puppets were being worked by a man named Booger Red. Now, Booger Red is actually a man named Patrick Kelly, and he said over and over again that he had never spent any time with these children. He didn't even know these children. He did say he knew Chantel Mayo and Jamie Pittman, but he had never spent any time with the kids. Now, Cheryl said the walls of the club had been covered with pictures of witches and dragons, and she said all six grown-ups had dressed in black witch outfits with their faces painted white. Cheryl went on to say that they jumped out to scare Harlan when he danced funky. Cheryl then said that their little sister Callie had to stay outside, but their six-year-old Aunt Jenny was there too. Now, Jenny was Chantal Mayo's baby sister. Jenny was about the same age as Cheryl, Harlan, and Callie, but she was their aunt. I know that's kind of confusing. Anyway, Cheryl went on to say that videos had been made of the shows, but Jamie had burned them all up. Detective Prince, Agent Brody, and Mineola Police Officer Officer Lucky Bolden went to Chantel and Jamie's trailer to see if they could get some answers. Chantel and Jamie said that they had never had anything to do with the club, and they even let the officers search their home right then and there. There was a burn pile near the house, but it didn't have anything in it except for some building materials. The officers did watch some videotapes, but they found nothing on them, just, you know, normal recorded shows, stuff like that. So again, if Chantel and Jamie were really guilty of being involved in filming child videos and being part of a child sex ring and a sex kindergarten, do you really think they'd just let the police come on in and look through all their stuff? I highly doubt it. Now, the Minneapolis police and the FBI soon closed the case because all of the officers and the district attorney of Wood County, Mark Taylor, all agreed that there just wasn't anything there. But Margie Cantrell wasn't ready to let it go. She called Smith County, 
remember the neighboring county, the FBI, Mineola Police, CPS, the Smith County Child Advocacy Center, and the Smith County Police. Their CPS caseworker, Alexia Searles, was also looking into the case. So she wasn't ready to let it go. She basic, Margie basically badgered all those people to keep telling her story. So Alexia Searles, remember, she had only been working for CPS about six months. She called her CPS supervisor, Christy Hatchell, who then passed the story on to Tiffany Wickle. Tiffany Wickle was the assistant district attorney in Smith County. Wickle knew all about Chantel Mayo and Jamie Pittman. She was the prosecutor in charge of overseeing Smith County's CPS cases, and she had been in charge of removing Cheryl and Harlan from their home. So as far as Wickle was concerned, Chantel and Jamie were guilty. And I know they obviously were not good parents. They were not good people. They were doing drugs, neglecting their kids, but that doesn't mean that they were molesting them or in charge of a child sex ring. Chantel is later going to say that they were railroaded because they were poor and because they'd had problems with the law. And the more you hear, you're going to agree. Well, I shouldn't tell you you're going to agree, but I think you're going to agree. Now, Cheryl's stories kept getting more and more disturbing. And I want you to remember, Cheryl's the only kid that's saying this stuff. Okay? The other kids aren't corroborating what she's saying. In fact, they don't want to say anything. Cheryl's the only one who's telling all these things. While she was talking to her psychiatrist, Donald Folsom, on July 18th, Cheryl said that Chantel and Jamie had sexually abused her and Harlan. The next day, Cheryl's therapist called and said Cheryl said that while she was still living with her mother and her boyfriend, they forced her to do dirty acts and have sex with her brother. Cheryl also told her therapist that she had to strip at Booger Red's house and at the yellow building that used to be a hospital and that she had been forced to make to take funny pills that made her act crazy. The therapist also said that Harlan had finally confirmed the allegations of sexual abuse also. He said that his mother used to rub his potty and wiener and she made him touch his sister's genitals and the genitals of other children. Callie and Jenny... Remember, the younger sister and the aunt that's also the same age as them were also interviewed at the Smith County Child Advocacy Center. Cheryl had told investigators that both the girls had been involved in the sex ring, but both the girls said they didn't know anything about the club. And just like Cheryl and Harlan had done at first, too. So the longer the story goes on, you're going to hear. At first, all the kids say they don't know anything, and then eventually they all come around with these crazy, fantastical stories. And I am not downplaying um, child sex abuse. I mean, I'm sorry, but anyone who's going to abuse a child in any form or fashion should never see the light of day again. But, and when I first started reading about this, I thought, oh my gosh, this is horrible what's happened to these children. The, the more I read you can see that the adults in this situation totally lost their minds and pushed for their own agenda. So even though Callie said that she knew nothing about it, she'd never been abused, she never knew anything about the Swingers Club, three months later, CPS removed her from her grandmother, Sheila Stone's home. 
She told her paternal grandmother, Virginia Mayo, that she jumped out of a cake. Virginia said that she asked Callie if she knew how to dance, and she said, no, Meemaw, I jump. Out of a cake, I jump. Now, this was considered an outcry that went with the stories that Cheryl had been telling investigators. So Callie was also placed with the Cantrell family and her other siblings on October 20th, 2005. While Margie was leading the charge against the supposed child sex ring, the Cantrells were having trouble of their own. John Cantrell was accused of molesting his grown foster daughters, Sally and Chandra, when they were children in the 1980s. Now, these were two of the girls that moved from California to Texas with them. They were grown, and they rented a house close by, but they didn't live with the Cantrells anymore. In fact, by this time, Sally was pregnant and going to have her own child. The girls were both in their 20s, and the DA's office in Solano County, California, had opened up the investigation. Sally had filed the report. Chandra said she really didn't want to get into it and she didn't want to talk with authorities. Well, Child Protective Services in Texas and the Bear Foundation were notified of these allegations by CPS in California. And they assigned an officer to the girls in Texas, or to the young women, I should say. Her name was Rebecca Calvo. So she was sent out to interview Sally and Chandra. Now, Rebecca Calvo's report confirmed that both women said that John Cantrell had molested them as little girls. But Calvo also noted that Chandra really didn't want to get into it. She didn't want to bring it up. And she said that she really wanted to be left alone. Calvo then questioned Margie and John, but of course they denied all of this. The Cantrell's current foster children were all interviewed, including Cheryl and Harlan, but none of the children made any outcries. So all the children were allowed to stay in the Cantrell home. Calvo, though, was not in favor of leaving the children in the home. She noted in her file, This worker has a number of concerns with foster children being placed in this home. But no one took any notice of Rebecca Calvo's concerns about the Cantrells, and CPS continued with their investigation into the abuse allegations that had been made against Chantel Mayo, Jamie Patrick, I'm sorry, Jamie Pittman, and Patrick Kelly, a.k.a. Booger Red. So, Booger Red did have a real name, and unfortunately, Booger Red was his nickname that followed him through into adulthood. I don't want my nickname to be Booger Red. I don't know about you. On November 3rd, a hearing was held in family court. Margie testified that Cheryl, Harlan, Kelly, and Jenny had all told her that they had attended a sex kindergarten and had done sexy dancing for money. Without any other evidence except for Margie's testimony, Jenny was taken from the Stones' home the next day and placed with a foster family in Palestine. So that's the thing. Nothing else has been found. Nothing. Just this woman's word. And they're taking kids out of homes, moving them around, placing them with the Cantrells. I don't know. It's crazy. So soon after... Jenny was placed with the family. The foster mother reported that Jenny had said that she had to wear strip clothes with Cheryl, Harlan, and Callie and take silly pills to make her dance sexy for boys. The case was getting more convoluted with every day. Smith County Assistant D.A. Wickle decided that there needed to be a more in-depth investigation, so she called in the Texas Rangers. Now, Sergeant Philip 
Kemp took over the investigation. And I'm going to be honest with you. The more I read, and I know I keep saying this, y'all, but it just floors me. Because the more I read and the more I learned about all of this, it's obvious that this whole thing was a giant shit show. There's no other thing to call it. The kids' stories get weirder and weirder the more they're pushed by the adults. And it's just, none of it makes any sense. So, I mean, remember, the FBI and the Wood County officers investigated. They couldn't find anything to back up these stories that Margie Cantrell started. And I'm going to tell you, the more we dive into Margie Cantrell's background, you're going to see she's not Miss Nicey Nice Pure of Heart. She's not that great of a person. Now, Sergeant Philip Kemp was a veteran officer. He had been part of the DPS. And before he ever moved on to the Texas Rangers. So he was a veteran, but he admitted that he had only ever investigated one other child abuse case in his 20-year career. So that's the thing. He wasn't a child abuse investigator. He didn't have any experience in this. He also admitted that he'd never interviewed a child under 10. And he had no training at all on how to do a forensic interview with a child. He said he'd never even read a magazine article or picked up a book to learn anything about it. But that didn't stop him from interviewing Harlan and Cheryl at length on November 30th. And that right there just kills me. And I'm going to tell you why. Every year before school starts, we are required to go to a meeting with our local child advocacy center to learn what to do if a child makes an outcry to you. And those ladies, because the ladies, it's ladies at our child advocacy center, talk to all of the staff at school about how important it is that a trained forensic interviewer speaks with a child who makes an outcry. They tell us it's so important because children can be led easily by what an adult says, and it's important to let them talk on their own terms. Sergeant Kemp breaks every rule in the book. Cheryl changed her story during her interview with Sergeant Kemp. She'd originally said, and see, that's the other thing. Cheryl's story doesn't say consistent at all. It changes throughout the whole investigation over and over again. So Cheryl had originally said that there were five kids at the Swingers Club, but she told Sergeant Kemp that there were eight. She also said that she wore a pink shirt with blue glitter and that there was an announcer who would come on and say, ladies and S-E-X people, here is the movie. She also said that Booger Red had gotten mad at a woman and choked her and that a bunch of people ran out of the church that was next door to see what was going on. Harlan still didn't want to talk about any of it, but Cheryl finally convinced him to talk. And at first, Harlan denied knowing anything at all. But he finally broke down and said that he had gone to Booger Red's trailer house for sex kindergarten, performed in the plays, and taken silly pills and stripped. Now, this was the first time that Harlan had ever said anything about Booger Red. The children were telling Sergeant Kemp all kinds of new things that they had never, ever reported or ever said before. But, again, 
here's a problem with the way Sergeant Kemp was investigating. According to all the experts, because I read a bunch of different things, um, on interviewing children who make outcries, there are several rules that always need to be followed. First of all, the children should always be questioned individually, not together. If they're together, they're hearing each other's stories, they can play off of one another, and you don't really know what is truly each child's story. You need to make sure that they you get independent information from each of them. Also, another thing that was completely wrong was that Margie should have never been allowed to sit in on any of the interviews. Margie's involved in the case. She's the outcry witness. This doesn't give the children a chance to say in private, no, that didn't happen. So this also gives Margie a chance to lead the children to say what she wanted them to say or what she interpreted as their outcry. And if you watch the videos of the interviews, it shows her standing over the children and she's a large imposing lady. She strokes their hair and they look at her for approval at what they're saying. And you can see her smiling and nodding her head to encourage them when they're saying the things that she wants them to say. At one point in the video, Harlan covers his face with his hands and refuses to say anything. And you can see Margie pulling his arms down and holding his hand in hers so that he can't put his hands up over his face anymore. You also hear Margie ask Harlan as she leans across the table, like right inches from him, who video cameraed? Harlan says it was Jamie. Margie then replies, let's see, I don't remember. Who else? Harlan says to her, Booger. Sergeant Kemp, though, admits that he never went to Booger Ed's trailer house to investigate where the supposed sex kindergarten was even held. He also didn't go to the Swingers Club building for nine months after he started his investigation. And he never talked to any of the people who were actually a real part of the Swingers Club. Wouldn't you think you'd want to talk to them? Because supposedly that's who was watching all these shows. When he was asked why he didn't go do his own investigation at these sites, Sergeant Kemp said it was because it had been a long time since the children had been at any of those places and the crime scene was probably compromised by then. I don't know. If it were me, I'd probably still want to go see these places. Maybe something got overlooked. Maybe he would notice something somebody didn't. Seems really sloppy if you ask me. Now when Sergeant Kemp interviewed Jenny, she repeatedly denied knowing anything about the sex kindergarten or the club even after he let Margie and Cheryl into the room with her. So even with the prompting and having Cheryl and Margie there, she still said no, she'd never been there, nothing happened. When Callie was interviewed, remember Callie's the littlest sister, alone, when she was interviewed alone by herself at the Child Advocacy Center, she didn't make any outcry at all. But when Sergeant Kemp interviewed her with Margie in the room with her, her story changed. She said that she went to Booger Red's kindergarten and did bad stuff in front of people and took silly pills. She also told about costumes she wore. She was a witch, Harlan was a bear, and Cheryl was a ghost. Callie said that Cheryl would fly around. She also said I would fly around on a broom and Harlan would just crawl on the ground. When Sergeant Kim asked Callie if she was on the ground or in the air, Callie said air. When she was asked how she got in the air, Callie said with my broom. Now come on, people. Do they really believe kids were flying around on broomsticks? Nuts. In May of 2007, 
two years after the Mineola Police Department closed its investigation based on Margie's allegations, remember, no other proof, Sergeant Kemp brought everything before a grand jury in Smith County. Seven people were eventually arrested in connection with the supposed sex kindergarten and child sex ring. Sheila Stones, remember, the kid's grandmother, Harlan, Cheryl, and Callie's mother, Chantal Mayo, and Jamie Pittman were all arrested first. Then, Booger Red got arrested. The next two men that were arrested was Jimmy Sones, Sheila's husband, and then Dennis Pittman, Jamie Pittman's brother. All six of them said they had nothing to do with the child sex ring. And then, in 2008, Dennis Pittman's wife, Rebecca, was also indicted. She also denied any involvement. And here's the thing. Not only did all these people deny any involvement, but when they found out that they were going to go to trial and they were going to be sent to prison for life, not one single person told on the other. In most cases where someone's guilty, somebody's telling on the other person so they can get out of it. No one did. And nobody ever wondered why no one ratted the other one out. Hmm. All seven of these people indicted were about to be in for a nightmare that wasn't going to end anytime soon. So I didn't mean for this to be a two-part episode also, but there's so much information involved and we haven't even gotten to these poor people going to prison and then fighting to get out and how all the children recanted their stories. And also, I'm going to tell you more about Margie Cantrell. So. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's crazy and there's lots of names and all kinds of information, but I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear what you think so far. You can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod. You could also find me on Facebook at Texas True Crime. Please, if you like what you're hearing, leave a five-star review. That tells other people looking for podcasts that this is a good one to listen to. Also, tell a friend. Getting the word out by mouth helps more than anything. I appreciate all of you guys. I've gotten some really good, a bunch more recommendations that I'm looking into. I'm putting them on the list. Don't worry if you haven't heard your information yet, your recommendations. I'm getting to them. I appreciate all of y'all's feedback. I love to hear from everyone. Y'all have a great evening and I will see you next week. Bye.